At the Cryptid Keeper podcast, we love to laugh at the darkness, but we would never laugh at the rich cultures that explore it, or the unique cultural significance of the creatures explored. The jokes within are on no one but us. We encourage additional research on the subjects covered here, and hope that a comedy podcast is not your primary source of information. Keeper Podcast, the podcast for cryptids and their keepers. That's us, and if you're listening, it's you too. I'm Alex Flanagan. And I'm Addison Peacock. And that's really all you need to know. <laughs> Addison, you brought us a fun friend today. Wow. Oh, oh my God. We're right to it today. This is I'm all business at this time of the evening. So this is also sudden. You're right. I'm so sorry. Uh don't talk to me before I've had my coffee. I do feel like that a little bit. I did. Have, I have had coffee today, though, so you're allowed to talk to me, and we're doing this. This is happening. This would be a really difficult, like, even more so than usual, this would be a difficult podcast to record if you and I were not allowed to interact directly. It really would. It would be a hard show to run. So That's, like, one heck of a gimmick. <laughs> so I was trying to look for, I don't even know exactly how I stumbled across this. I don't remember even how. I don't mm-hmm. even now. I can't trace my steps back. I've lost my breadcrumb trail. Uh, it's been eaten, and it's all gone, and I don't know how I got here. I originally was trying to look for something Halloween themed because it's October. So Uh it's Halloween now uh, until October 31st at midnight. And then it's, you can finally start talking about other holidays, but right now it's Halloween, but I didn't want something like scary right now. I'm just like not in the headspace for it. Nobody's really in the headspace for it, I think. And I, so I don't know. Would this be a bad time to bring up that I'm already on the Christmas creep? Yes. Okay, then I won't bring it up. This is going to be a point of contention for us for some time to come. It usually is. So it's Halloween. And normally I would be already full-blown like into some pretty scary stuff, but I didn't want to go that far yet because honestly, I'm stressed out and everyone is having a hard time right now. So I wanted something a little more lighthearted. And what I found is not Halloween themed. I don't, like I said, I don't know how I ended up here, (laughs) but I'm here and I'm not mad about where I've ended up. It's just also... Uh, something I never could have predicted. It's not about the destination. It's about the journey. Well, let me see if I can guess. Is it like, is it October adjacent at all? I mean, yes. Okay. Okay. Or I should say it's it's autumnal adjacent. Okay. Okay. So it's autumnal. So that's something. We can work with that. This part's always funny because the people listening to this already know what it is, but you don't. I already know what it is and I don't. Yeah. Does it, like, have anything to do with the foliage or with, like, the Mm-mm. sort of bright colors that are revealed when chlorophyll ceases production for the winter time? Oh, no, it has nothing to do with fall except for the fact that it made its first appearance in fall. All right, go ahead and reel me in. So, are you familiar with the self-proclaimed eighth wonder of the world? <laughs> uh, do you know what this is? I mean, I was going to say, like, if you ask some of my exes, but... Oh, no. No, I... I was, gonna, I was wondering if you know what this is. Okay, This is a creature that supposedly, if you believe the accounts of it, can speak for itself and tell you a lot about it. So you know what? Instead of introducing it to you, I think I'm just going to quote its introductory words to you. Okay. Not Maybe not its introductory words, but quote something it has said about itself. Let's see. Where are the words that it uses to describe itself? According to whomst? Oh, I'll tell you all about it. 
Okay, here we go. This is what it says. When asked what he was, this creature responded, I am a freak. I have hands and I have feet. And if you saw me, you'd faint. You'd be petrified, mummified, turned into stone or a pillar of salt. And those are the introductory words of a little creature called Jeff the Talking Mongoose. Oh my God. (laughs) Do you know what this is? Oh my God, I love Jeff the Talking Mongoose so freaking much. No, you already know about Jeff. (laughs) Okay. I do know about Jeff the Talking Mongoose. I am not like a Jeff the Talking Mongoose expert, so I expect I still have a lot to learn. Um, But I am thoroughly delighted. Thank God. What do you know about Jeff the Talking Mongoose? Pretty much what's right there on the label. That Jeff is a mongoose that That Jeff is, in fact, Talking Mongoose, yeah. Okay. And then he apparently does his whole I'm weird, I'm a weirdo speech. Um, so like To be fair, I don't know if that was sung or not, because apparently Jeff sang a, a lot of songs. So Jeff the Talking Mongoose <laughs> was I'm gonna start with a mental floss article by Anna Green from December 28th, 2015, called The Strange Story of Jeff the Talking Mongoose. There is an artist's rendering of Jeff the Talking Mongoose that I'm going to send you in a Facebook message right now. Bless up. It's pretty much just a sketch of a mongoose, but like with like really long eyelashes, but I still thought you might want to see it. And if you've never seen a mongoose, then they are essentially kind of like a weasel or a ferret. They're in that world. They're in that animal kingdom. A handsome boy. Isn't he handsome? So (laughs) with such long, marvelous eyelashes. Does he have? I'm sorry. Are those like long fingers on his little paws? (laughs) I'm not sure. I'm not sure. Don't love But I will tell you that supposedly his appearance that the story revolves around occurred in in autumn and that's all I've, that's the okay. only reason this is seasonal okay. that's all okay, i've got yeah. there's never a bad time for jeff the talking mongoose so normally we don't do things that were like a one-time only appearance but i just love but the story of jeff is so fascinating and like the research surrounding jeff has extended so long into time uh, and is still like kind of around and the discussion around it is still happening that i don't feel bad bringing him up but essentially this was a a limited occurrence in which a family in the village of dalby on the isle of man was tormented by this spirit cryptid talking animal something that took the form of a mongoose and introduced itself as Jeff, spelled G-E-F or sometimes spelled J-E-O-F-F. It's got a couple different spellings. And so this began, I'm going to quote from this piece. This is the Mental Floss article. One morning in the early 1930s, James Irving of the village of Dalby on the Isle of Man was getting ready to open his daily newspaper when a high-pitched disembodied voice called out impatiently, read it out, you fat-headed gnome. Oh, goodness. (laughs) The voice didn't belong to his wife, Margaret, or his teenage daughter, the only humans likely to be in the farmhouse. But though Irving may have been offended, he wasn't surprised. He knew the voice belonged to a strange creature called Jeff, who for some time had been living largely unseen in his family's home. First showed up in 1931 in autumn. And according to accounts of James, his wife Margaret, and his daughter, it's V-O-I-R-R-E-Y. Is it Vuri? Vuari? I don't know how to pronounce her name. Yeah, I don't know. Vuari? I guess so. I'm just going to call it worry but initially it lived in the walls good <laughs> made a bunch of animal noises and then eventually started to pick up human language from the irvings and then introduced itself to the family as jeff and said he was a mongoose from india he didn't appear visually very much he mainly skittered around in the walls and like would yell rude things from his hiding places <laughs> he did appear in a couple different places lots of people wrote him off as a hoax or a mass hallucination but the family insisted he was real and like the last surviving member of the family was the daughter and in an interview she did still she didn't want 
to talk about it. I'll talk about the interview. She like skirts around it, but she eventually is like, yeah, there was an animal that did those things. I don't want to talk about it, essentially. Oh, no. So no, none of them have ever said that, have ever taken the story back. But essentially, they that they told stories of Jeff sleeping in the daughter's room, eating bacon and sausages, and even riding the bus and bringing back gossip about the neighbors. Um, Here's the thing. A perfect friend. <laughs> I'm obsessed. The like chaotic neutral energy of Jeff the Talking Mongoose is so strong and so intense. The thing about Jeff the Talking Mongoose is like just based on that description alone, I'm pretty sure we went to school with several Jeff the Talking Mongoose. Oh, absolutely. 100%. So they didn't see him very often, but all the family members at one point said that they'd seen him. There was an interview that James, the father, did in the Manchester Daily Dispatch in 1932 where he described it as a little animal resembling a stoat a ferret or a weasel, yellow in color with a body about nine inches long. Its long bushy tail is speckled with black. There's a lot of variance in the way it's described. Like I said, they only saw it in person occasionally. A lot of the time it sort of hid in the walls or was this kind of more ethereal presence and then sometimes was a physical mongoose just hanging out. At one point he described himself as an extra, extra clever mongoose. But at another point, Jeff proclaimed, I'll split the atom. I am the fifth dimension. I am the eighth wonder of the world. <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> um, hmm. I'm a little bit uncomfortable with how much I and Jeff have in common. It's like really good. Um, that is that is wild though. Um, have you watched the show Hilda yet on Netflix? No, I haven't. I haven't seen it yet. Hilda is really extremely charming, um, and you would love it. Actually, it's somebody in the Cryptid Keeper Appreciation Group that we have on Facebook that recommended it, mm-hmm. um, which is how I sort of stumbled into it. But Andrew and I watched the whole thing recently. Um, and to my understanding, it's an adaptation of like a children's graphic novel uh-huh. um, that was already in existence. But it's really, really tremendous. Um, yeah. It's just the writing is exceptional. It's a super charming show. And it's about this young girl who I believe is like Swedish. I think that's the conceit of the show. Um, it doesn't really specify. It's sort of like magical realism. But she goes from living in the wilderness to living in the city. And it's just like a given of this world that all of these mythological creatures and Swedish cryptids are just like a real part of their everyday life, which is really, really cool and very fun. But there is a particular creature in one of the later episodes, which is a Nyssa. If you're unfamiliar with Nyssa, uh, they are like little house spirits, kind of like brownies, but Mm -hmm. they basically live in the sum total of the unused space in your house. So, like, all of the spaces in your home, like, the the area behind the couch that nobody can reach, yeah. or, like, the little gap behind picture frames that you can't really see behind, or, like, behind your kitchen cupboards, or, like, the space on top of shelves that you can't quite see. The conceit is that, like, all of that unused space becomes, like, a pocket dimension inside your home, and that's where the Nissa lives. And so when you were talking about, like, Jeff the Talking Mongoose living in the walls, that's what I was thinking of. Is Amazing. Especially because he seems to be this creature with this kind of, like, trans-dimensional atom splitting power oh i (laughs) I like the idea of him sort of being this multi-dimensional chaos entity oh yeah here's the thing before i go back to the same article that i was reading i want to return to the mental floss piece in a second but first i want to hop over to alteredimensions.net has a blog entry on the case and there's a section of it that is just a series of comments made by jeff that james irving recorded in his personal diary uh, and these are all compiled right here. So I just want to read off some Jeff quotes for you because they're incredible. Let's hear I touched on a couple of them. His introductory little speech, his like very Charlie Sheen-esque, I'll split the atom, I'm the fifth dimension, I have tiger blood, I'm the eighth wonder of the world, etc. But uh, 
They range from very nonsensical to very threatening. This one gets me. The first one after that is, I am not evil. I could be if I wanted. You don't know what damage or harm I could do if I were roused. I could kill you all, but I won't. Jeff the Talking Mongoose just sounds like Salem the Cat. He's good. Um, I mean, he's not good. He's he's very chaotic neutral. There was a situation where he was asked where he would... He's not evil, but he could be. Isn't that true of all of us? He was asked mm-hmm. where he would go when he died. He said, to hell, to the land of mist. <laughs> oh my god. I feel like you'll like this one a lot. He said, if you are kind to me, I will bring you good luck. If you are not kind, I shall kill all your poultry. I can get them wherever you put them. (laughs) I like, um, I am a huge fan of Clickhole. And this sounds like anytime Clickhole does a sort of like one of their articles where they give like quotes from yes. people, you know, quotes from famous people yes. who like are not famous, but like they just sort of make stuff up. Oh, yeah. Very nonsensical. Um, this one is actually like weirdly kind of almost beautiful. But, uh, for years, I understood all that people said, but I could not speak until you taught me. Then there's, if you knew what I know, you'd know a hell of a lot. (laughs) (laughs) Then this one is very straightforward. And this is where a lot of the theories about him being some sort of poltergeist come in, because he literally said this, according to James Irving's diary. I am a ghost in the form of a weasel, and I shall haunt you with weird noises and clanking chains. (laughs) I need to get, like, so many t-shirts with (laughs) Jeff the Mongoose and Jeff the Mongoose quotes on them. They're so good. He's very self-contradictory, though, because later he said, I am not a spirit. I am a little extra, extra clever mongoose. Also same. Mm -hmm. That's me. Also Um, same. He also, there's a couple more that I love. Upon noticing that Jim was reading the Bible, said, look at the pious old atheist reading the Bible. He will swear in a minute. Oh my God. (laughs) He loves to, this is one of my favorites, just like being really shady for no reason. He says, I have been to nicer homes than this. Carpets, pianos, satin covers on polished tables. I am going back there. Ha ha ha. Listen, we're all like operating in the understanding that this is a reality. And Jeff the Talking Mongoose is like straight up smashing the fourth wall at every moment, looking directly at the camera, delivering searing one liners. Mm hmm. Oh man, this is my favorite one too. This is the one that really encapsulates the energy of Jeff the Mongoose. And it's, of course, I know what I am, and you are not going to get to know, and you are only grizzled because I won't tell you. I might let you see me sometime, but thou wilt never get to know what I am. (laughs) Wow. And I would like to, straight from the mouth of not Jeff, but uh, James Irving, uh, really quick while I stay on the Altered Dimensions page, James Irving wrote, there's a letter here written to um, one of the many investigators I'll talk about soon. A lot of investigators and psychics checked out the Jeff the Mongoose story. This is an excerpt from the letter from James Irving. Mm -hmm. So I don't really know what he sounds like, so I'm just going to go with it. To start with, during February and the beginning of March 1932, I heard a great deal about what was termed at the time as a talking weasel. (laughs) Oh, wait, this is the letter written from the investigator about James Irving. Sorry, I misread the caption. Would that change your character voice? No. I ridiculed the whole affair at first. Interest of the people concerned, with amusement in the foreground, I decided to visit Derlish Cashin with the main object of exposing the whole joke, if there was one, on the 7th March 1932. (laughs) On my arrival at Mr. Irving's farmhouse, a screeching voice said, Hello, Arthur, to which I replied, Hello. It then said, Call me Jeff. I am an (laughs) earthbound spirit. (laughs) Before I saw you, I was going to blow your brain out. 
<laughs> with a sorry that's so dark but but i like you now oh quietness for a few minutes then loud knockings on the walls in various parts of the house suddenly it said vanished all this happened between 5 p.m and 6 p.m at about eight o'clock jeffrey appeared and said i'm going to keep you awake all tonight you are not going to keep your promise i hope what have i done to deserve it i asked you are a doubter <laughs> Do you remember, like, and this is a bit of a diversion, but do you remember that period in the early mid-2000s when it was a big thing to have, like, YouTube cartoons with edgy talking animals? Yeah, like llamas with hats. Like llamas with hats or, like, you know, Charlie the Unicorn or... These were all made by the same group, too. They were, yeah. But it was, like, that... and Well, and there's, like, Happy Tree Friends. Like, everything sort of spiraled off of that. Oh, yeah, true. There were several different ones. It was, like, a whole... Phenomenon. Although, yes, Llamas with Hats was the same guy. Um, and so was General Taft's Pony Brigade, which is a very good video. Oh, it's a good video. <laughs> anyway, I do love General Taft's Pony Brigade. But Jeff the Talking Mongoose just sounds like an intellectual property from, like, 2008. <laughs> it's true. Like, if you if you came to me and read all of these quotes directly and said, these are by the same guy that made Charlie the Unicorn, I would be like, yeah, that tracks. <laughs> that totally tracks. I'm going to hop over to a lengthy series of blog entries in a second but I do want to wrap up with a couple things from the mental floss piece on the mental floss piece. It says only one newspaper claimed to have actually seen Jeff in an article called man weasel mystery grips Island queerest beast talks to daily dispatch reporter, which is a great headline. There were multiple members of the media that took the case seriously enough to launch an investigation. So there was Rex Lambert, a founding editor of the BBC's listener magazine mm-hmm. who took it on with celebrity paranormal investigator, Harry price. And I'm going to talk about Harry price a lot more later, but they published their findings in a book called The Haunting of Cashin's Gap, A Modern Miracle Investigated, published in 1936. I will go over more of the details of their uh, investigation, but something that I thought was really interesting is Rex Lambert was criticized by a retired colonel named Sir Cecil Levita, who alleged that his coverage of the Jeff story meant that he was, quote, off his head. So Lambert responded to that by bringing a slander suit, which has later been referred to as the mongoose case against that man, which he won. So I just wanted to talk about the mongoose case. Oh my god. Also, people, like I said, are still talking about Jeff. In 2014, according to the Wall Street Journal, the world's preeminent authorities on Jeff gathered in the University of London's Senate House Library to discuss the great mongoose mystery. I need to know when the next one of those is so I can become enough of a Jeff scholar by then to get invited. <laughs> it's all I want. It's all I want. So that you can get invited, yeah. Also, if you want a really, like, in-depth exploration of Jeff the Talking Mongoose, there is a paperback book by Christopher Joseph, J-O-S-I-F-F-E, and the book is entitled Jeff, The Strange Tale of an Extra Special Talking Mongoose. So if you want to read a full-blown book about it, that is something that I came across in my research. I don't really want to read. I just want to sort of do some sort of occult ritual to invite Jeff the Talking Mongoose into my, like, presence or body. (laughs) Alex, please. I mean... It seems like the most practical way to get the information. So I want to talk a little bit more about Jeff's general behavior. There is a blog that has a multi-part series about uh, Jeff the Talking Mongoose. And it is jeffmongoose.blogspot.com. That is spelled G-E-F and then mongoose.blogspot.com. And this has been all compiled by Clifford Malcolm Willett, W-I-L-L-E-T-T. Good name. Yeah, he lives in Norwich, England, and he is a uh, paranormal investigator who talks a lot about mainly alien encounters. 
but he compiled a blog series on Jeff the Talking Mongoose. And in the first entry, it's a lot of the stuff I covered already, but then it dives a lot more into his general habits and behavior. So some of the things, uh, like I mentioned, he would come home to uh, tell them (laughs) gossip that he picked up while he was out and about. Mm -hmm. Yeah, naturally. Also something I really enjoy that's very melodramatic is when he grew tired of chat, he would call out vanished and make himself scarce. Like he would just yell the word vanished and then not come back. (laughs) He's literally just Salem the cat. He's he's just (laughs) Salem the cat. (laughs) Also, Jim Irving wrote about Jeff... Its hearing powers are phenomenal. It is no use whispering. It detects the whisper 15 to 20 feet away, tells you that you are whispering, and repeats what one has said. It's so freaking unnerving. It's so unnerving. Jeff would often bring rabbits home for Margaret to cook that he apparently caught. (laughs) Good boy. And in return, he was given tidbits such as biscuits, sweets, and chocolate. There's like one of the quotes from Jeff uh, that I glossed over because it wasn't as exciting, but I do think it's kind of cute. It it was, um, he said like he had three interests in the house. He said he followed the daughter, the mom fed him, and the dad answered all his questions. (laughs) Oh, so he sounds like a four-year-old basically. Yeah, I kind of, I quite like it. He was also fond of bacon and sausages. The food would be left for him on crossbeams near the ceiling and he would sneak out and snatch it when no one was looking. Whose job was it to climb up and put the sausage (laughs) on the ceiling beams? I imagine it was the daughter's, but it doesn't say. (laughs) I'm sorry, that's, but, uh, that is like, the lead has been buried here. I'm sorry, I want to tell you about how he liked to sing. Okay, tell me about how he likes to sing. He loved to sing as much as talking. His favorite tune was Carolina Moon, which he would sing along to the gramophone. Uh, Or sometimes he would bounce a rubber ball up and down in time to the music. He could also sing Home on the Range, uh, the Manx National Anthem, several hymns, and fragments of a Spanish folk song. (laughs) But he he also liked to offend uh, the mother, Margaret, by singing a lewd parody of Home on the Range he had picked up from some bus drivers. I don't know the lyrics to said lewd parody of Home on the Range. It does not tell me. That's okay. This is a family-friendly podcast. Yeah. Also, part of the reason, and I'm going to go a little bit more, actually a lot more into this, why there have been these comparisons drawn, but... There are people who propose that Jeff was potentially some kind of poltergeist. And like a lot of poltergeist stories, Jeff had this really short fuse and would have these rage, like these moments of really intense rage. Oh, yikes. Yeah, exactly. And also glommed onto like poltergeist tend to the teenage daughter. And that is extremely common in poltergeist hauntings. Whether that's, and there's a lot of different interpretations of that, like whether it's a manifestation of like the energy being given off by that person or it is something feeding on that energy or being drawn to it. It's teenagers in general, actually, I shouldn't even just say teenage girls, but teenagers in general are Mm -hmm. a draw for poltergeists. So the fact that he was so attached to specifically the daughter is very interesting. This, okay, but then but then he just makes me laugh again. He seemed to enjoy deliberately provoking the parents. One night he made a nuisance of himself by sighing and groaning loudly for 30 minutes without pause before confessing, I did it for devilment. Oh, for devilment. <laughs> the Manx papers ran a series of mocking articles about the story, which unfortunately led to the daughter being teased at school, which is a bummer. But then his notoriety spread all over the place. And then there were all these investigations. And that is what I would like to talk about now. There is a three-part series on this blog called Investigating Jeff. Investigating Jeff. And there are, it covers three of the major people who investigated. So in 1932, he wrote to Harry Price. Um, I mentioned Harry Price before, but at the time, Price was not able to attend in person. So he sent Captain James McDonald in his place. 
Captain James MacDonald arrived at the farmhouse on February 26th, and he wrote in his report to Price, On my first day, the Irvings showed me cracks in the farmhouse walls where they said the mongoose spied on visitors. I was there till midnight, but the mongoose was silent. As I was leaving to go, a voice screamed, Who is that bloody man? Irving gripped my arm and said, That's the animal. <laughs> Jeff had obviously taken an instant dislike to McDonald. I've been looking at the man and I don't like him, he told Jim. <laughs> Me, same, hello, hi. Yeah. The next afternoon, the captain was taking tea with the family when a large needle suddenly ricocheted off the teapot. Jim promptly remarked that Jeff was always throwing things at us. Oh my goodness. The captain later heard shrill screams and knocking all over the house, followed by a heavy fall in Voiry's room. He ran upstairs to find that a chair left on top of Jeff's sanctum had been pushed onto the floor. This is just like so much raw. Like, I, I know we keep using the phrase chaotic energy, and that's really like the only way to describe this creature. It is just buck wild. Yeah, it's really amazing. Uh, McDonald tried to creep up the stairs quietly to catch the mongoose by surprise in its little attic kind of hangout, um, but he slipped on a loose tread and tumbled noisily back down, Which and Jeff yelled, he's coming, the dirty old sleech, and promptly fled. It was the last the captain heard from him during his visit. By the way, Captain McDonald is apparently a pseudonym. Uh, used in the research papers for a man named Captain James Den- I'm going to say Denis because it's spelled D-E-N-I-S, which tends mm-hmm. to be... I would think so, yeah. Denis. So that's his actual... But in the papers, he's referred to as uh, Captain McDonald. So then Harry Price. So Harry Price actually investigates... Captain McDonald paid another visit in 1935, and he tried to speak with Jeff again. He did get to speak with him, and he was given a sample of Jeff's hair which I'll talk about in a second. Okay. But after the two reports from McDonald, Price finally said, okay, you know what? That sounds like, I'm paraphrasing, obviously. He was like, dude, that sounds pretty legit. So (laughs) Jeff was not pleased when he heard Price was coming. He said, I like Captain McDonald, but not Harry Price. (laughs) He's the man who puts the kibosh on the spirits. Oh, And this is when I mentioned before Richard Lambert from the BBC magazine The Listener joined him. Price said, I wanted a witness in case Jeff should put in an appearance, which is fair. Yeah, totally. You want to corroborate things. Yeah, and he wanted someone who's a little more unbiased, a newsman. Jeff stubbornly refused to make an appearance while they were there. The family was heartbroken at Jeff's continued absence. They claimed that he had to be listening, but that he wouldn't come out. Harry Price wrote, Uh, I addressed a little speech to the four walls of the room, hoping Jeff would hear me. I pointed out that we had come a long, long way on his account and that we were entitled to some manifestation. A few words, a little laugh, a scream, a squeak, or just a simple scratch behind the paneling. I even invited him to throw something at me, but all to no purpose. See, no, that's the wrong attitude. You can't. You You can't want it that badly. No, you can't. That's not how people like Jeff work. So they came back the next evening and then Jeff didn't come out again. They showed them all of the sort of places where Jeff would hang out. They took him to all his little peepholes and his little, like, cracks where he would hide and throw things. But they couldn't see Jeff at all. He did not make any appearances. Supposedly, Jeff came right back out as soon as they left and told Jim that he had taken a few days holiday and had refused to perform for Harry Price since he considered him a doubter. I love Jeff. He did agree to make some plasticine impressions of his paws and teeth, which were later forwarded to Price, which I'm going to talk about in a minute as well. Price's private correspondence, though, suggests that he considered the whole thing a hoax, which would make sense since he didn't get to see any evidence and Jeff did not come out to play. But the final man uh, who investigated was Nander Fodor. He was a research officer for the International Institute for Psychical Research. 
not physical research, psychical research. Uh, okay. to make sure I'm not, I'm not misreading that. So like he was a psychic researcher. He was a psychoanalyst and obsessed with psychic research. And he was one of the people who posited the theory that poltergeists aren't spirits of their own accord, but manifestations of conflict and uh, issues in the subconscious mind externalizing through the, some sort of energy that the brain is outputting. So that was his kind of thing. Okay. He specifically, in an amazingly titled 1948 magazine article called I Psychoanalyze Ghosts, he said, In some as yet unknown manner, a part of you may refuse to be confined within your body. It may perform your unconscious desires, even though you think you have nothing to do with it. When this happens, you have a poltergeist. And he specifically mentioned that this is most common in adolescence. So... He did not believe it was a fraud at all, that Jeff was a fraud. He believed that there was something there. Not sure what that was. He said in an essay published in 1938 and then in his 1952 book, Haunted People, the Story of the Poltergeist Down the Centuries, he said that the something which is called Jeff exists and talks, I hold proved. But as to what it is, opinions may differ. Once we step into the marvelous, reason and logic give us no bearings. So he basically said that the people, the Irving family, was sincere. They were honest. There was no, like, there was absolutely no reason to believe they were making anything up. They had no reason to lie. Mm -hmm. And he mentioned that people said ventriloquism was a possibility in terms of it being fraudulent. And he said no, because every member of the family has heard it at some point in time. And it is sufficient to spend a day at the Dorlish Cashin, which is the name of the house and the property, that to know that under their conditions of living, it would be impossible to carry on a ventriloquial imposition over a period of years. So he also did not believe it was a poltergeist, actually, because poltergeists are always invisible and they have encountered Jeff's animal form. Okay. He leaves teeth marks in the butter and in the fat of the bacon. He catches rabbits. Poltergeists don't tend to do favors either for the people that they're haunting. And the disturbances tend to die out in poltergeist occurrences soon after the critical period, which is just before a young girl or boy in the house reaches the age of puberty. And then Jeff didn't fade out around that time. He didn't go anywhere. Right. He didn't go anywhere until the family moved out. And even then, he didn't follow them. He's, I'll, I'll talk a little bit about how he ended up. But his original theory of Jeff is essentially that he might just be what he said he is, a little extra, extra clever mongoose. He might just be a little extra, extra clever mongoose. All the probabilities are against it, but all the evidence is for it, he wrote. He showed himself as an animal. He had himself photographed as an animal. He has the abnormal hearing, eyesight, and suspiciousness of an animal. Remarkable animals are known to have existed before Jeff. The Eberfield horses could extract cube roots and communicate thoughts by striking in code with their hooves. Dogs have been taught to read and spell. Birds can speak the human tongue. But never has there been an animal as remarkable as Jeff. So, and he said, I love this one. He, he says, I have not seen him. He did not talk to me. He claimed to be an animal. I cannot disprove that claim. Oh, that's very good. It's like really good. Okay, so this is, yeah, this is a bit of a tangent, but you just mentioned like extra clever animals and we were talking about them. And so I have to seize on any moment that I possibly can to talk about Alex the African Grey Parrot. Oh, Alex! Um, because Alex the African Grey Parrot is everything to me. Alex the Parrot. Oh. I have a lot of feelings about Alex the African Grey Parrot. So Alex the Parrot was the subject of like a it was a long time. It was, yeah, it was 30 years. It was a 30-year experiment because parrots can live that long or this kind of parrot can. Um, and it was a lifelong experiment with this bird 
to basically like explore the the reaches of like what birds are capable of cognitively and like how we can sort of determine like how smart animals are like by teaching in the English language and then seeing how they process in that because like it's kind of difficult to get a mm-hmm. read on animals thought processes because we don't communicate in the same yeah. way that they do but with parrots they can right so like the opportunity was there to basically teach an animal English and then talk to it about how it thinks. Yeah. Which is not what they were expecting to be able to do, right? Because that's kind of like a buckwild expectation. Right. And this bird completely like blew all previous preconceptions about the intelligence level of these animals out of the water. Like insane. So Alex the Grey Parrot was taught English, like on a, on a basic level, I think he had the skills of about like an eight or nine year old. He had like the verbal skills of a fairly young child. But what is so remarkable about Alex the Parrot is that Alex the Parrot is the first non-human animal on record ever asking an existential question. Once like Alex started learning about colors, mm-hmm. Alex asked, what color am I? <gasps> I didn't know that. Yeah, which is wild. And there are all sorts of other really cool like linguistic abilities that were demonstrated by this parrot like one of my favorite ones is that um they would give him like fruit every day right like for his food and he like really liked as a treat um and so he learned the word banana and he learned the word cherry or no yeah i think it was banana and cherry or banana and strawberry or something anyway he learned the names of those two fruits and really liked them well one day they gave him apples and he didn't know what those were called so he called them banaries oh Angel. Because it's like, well, it's not either of those things, but it's kind of like both of them. So these are binaries. It is like mind-blowingly cool. There is so much more to read about this story, and I highly recommend that everybody check it out. It is like one of my favorite studies of all time. I think it's so fascinating. And like the reports that the person, like the, the personal trainer who worked with Alex for 30 years, you know, obviously grew to have a really, really special relationship with him. But One of the things that's so remarkable is like every night before the researcher left, they'd say like, like, good night. I love you. Be good. Mm -hmm. And just before Alex the parrot passed away, those were his last words to his handler. Mm, I hurt. I know. It's like so much. But anyway, all of that just to say that like animals are capable of really, really remarkable things. And while obviously some of the more like supernatural abilities of this mongoose are kind of difficult to believe the idea that one could pick up language is like implausible yes but not outside the bounds of what we have come to scientifically prove in some other animal species Mm -hmm. but do we know that a mongoose would be that rude an extra extra special mongoose it's true before i talk about a little bit about the proof of jeff that was offered the evidence of jeff i should say not proof the evidence offered to prove no it's proof jeff say proof okay the proof of jeff but first i actually want to hop over to europaranormal.com and talk a little bit more about the poltergeist thing now obviously it's subject to debate but um are you familiar with the bell witch case of tennessee in 1817 i don't think so it's a haunting in Tennessee in 1817, and it's one of the more famous poltergeist encounters. Okay. It may or may not be real, but it's a legend from Southern American folklore, and it was the Bell family. Between 1817 and 1821, they were under attack by this mostly invisible entity that was able to speak, move the environment around, and supposedly shapeshift. Um, it supposedly was also clairvoyant, could cross long distances, had superhuman speed, and you know, Natch. The reason I bring it up is because it has it, it. It should be noted that not a mongoose, but 
strange animals appearing during poltergeist hauntings is not that unusual. In the Bell Witch case, a black dog was reported. And there was also a strange creature reported in another haunting, um, uh, the haunting of Willington Mill in Tyneside in 1830, 1835. I can't talk. But also, I'm going to say a little bit more about the Bell Witch. But according to this piece, this is an article about poltergeists and Jeff the Talking Mongoose, that there have been poltergeist cases where they spoke and referred to themselves as Jeffrey or old Jeffrey. Most famously was Jeffrey, the Wesley family poltergeist who manifested at the Epworth Rectory in the winter of 1716, where a mysterious badger-like creature was also seen. So all poltergeists are just named Jeff. Apparently. Now, I should say... That's just like a thing. I should say um, that I tried to get to this paper and I couldn't get to it, but apparently there is a paper that draws the parallels between Jeff and the Bell Witch, in a paper by Mark Bell, funnily enough, not related to the original Bells. Uh, And the paper's entitled, Jeff, a Modern Sphinx as an Esoteric Lesson about Oneness, refers to some of the parallels. Some of the, but some of the distinct similarities are in the personalities of the entities, which were both kind of snarky and prone to rages. And this article says, pretentious and rambling speeches. Let me tell you, there, there are a lot of very valid criticisms to be made of like college courses, but I miss the four-year period of my life where I could write intense, well-sourced academic journal-level papers and give them like bizarre titles like that, where you can pick a niche-specific topic and just be like, yeah, people should have to pay to read me talk for 20 pages about how all ghosts are named Jeff. It's really good. <laughs> like, that's incredible. It's really good. What I was going to say is I wanted to talk about like the ending to it before I talk about the evidence. And I wanted to talk about sort of the, how this all wrapped up, which is in 1939, the Irvings sold the farm. They moved away. The mongoose did not follow them. Jeff didn't come with them. The press did report that the new owner had shot and killed a mysterious creature that might be a mongoose. But no. people lost interest pretty quickly. You can't kill Jeff. He can split the atom. That's true. And then in 1970... Vori, the daughter, um, she, I said her name wrong again, even wronger, I added letters, but the daughter (laughs) told an interviewer that, yes, like, she was very evasive about it, but essentially said, yes, there was a creature that did those things, and then she blamed Jeff for her inability to find a husband. Oh, my goodness. So... I don't know. But I'd like to talk about the evidence uh, to Jeff really quickly. And then I'll wrap us up with a little talk about Jeff in pop culture. All right. Lay it on me. There is the pop culture thing I wanted to say really quickly. I had it written down and then I didn't have the site up that actually told me about it. Oh, yeah. Neil Sisierica, uh, the Potter Puppet Pals, lots of other things. His band Lemon Demon has a song called Eighth Wonder that's based on the story of Jeff the Mongoose. Nice. Anyway. Right. Because he was the eighth wonder of the world. So I'll wrap us up with some evidence. Let's talk about the evidence. So evidence part two, evidence part one is Jeff's voice, which I've already talked about a lot. Uh, The fact that it didn't match anyone in the house, it came from all over and that people talked about it potentially being ventriloquism. But so I'm going to skip over that one because we talked about it. But I want to talk about part two, his paw prints. Uh I'm going to answer your question from before when you saw the artistic rendering of Jeff and you asked me about his hands. There's a plaster cast of Jeff's prints. They're his forepaws and his back paws. And his front paws are less paws and more like Jim Irving described his forefeet as looking like tiny human hands with very long fingers. Uh, I was right. And I've never been so upset to be right. 
They each had three fingers and a thumb. Mm. And they were very dexterous. He could throw things and strike matches and do all kinds of fun stuff. Then his back paws look just kind of like little mongoose feet. It's there's a there's a there's a picture. You can find the plaster cast of his of his feet. And Reginald Pocock, not Peacock, it's so funny, I keep misreading it, that of the Natural History Museum was asked, Harry Price sent these to him and said, like, can you identify this? He couldn't match them to any known animal, though he conceded that one of them might have been maybe conceivably made by a dog. But he said that he didn't think they represented foot tracks at all. Most certainly none of them that was made by a mongoose. But you know what? You decide. You be the judge. So evidence part three is Jeff's hair. So I mentioned before that his some of his hair was given for examination to Harry Price. Mm-hmm. Now, one night during Captain McDonald's final visit, they say Jeff plucked out a tuft of his hairs and left them in a bowl on the mantelpiece. The quote is, I pulled it from my eyebrow and my God, did it hurt, he proclaimed. <laughs> so they were sent to Harry Price who forwarded them to naturalist F. Martin Duncan for analysis. Now he compared them with hairs of known origin. He wrote to Price and said, he can verify that they never grew on a mongoose, nor are they those of a rat, rabbit, hare, squirrel, or any other rodent. He also said he thought it might've been taken from a longish haired dog. He suspected the hairs probably came from the Irving's sheepdog, Mona, but he asked Price to procure him a sample of Mona's fur to confirm his suspicions. Apparently they were identical. (laughs) The mongoose hairs and the sheepdog hairs were the same. But that doesn't mean Jeff didn't take the hairs off Mona as like a trick. That's true. Pretty sneaky little guy. It says Jim Irving later raised the matter with Jeff, pointing out that Mr. Duncan thought the hairs came from the dog. He should not think. He should know, retorted Jeff brusquely. He damn well does not know what I am. Oh my goodness. So... So much. So part four, there are actually a few photographs of Jeff, but they're not, they're sadly not very helpful. They look kind of like a badger or a stuffed toy of some kind, but there are a few photographs of him. He supposedly agreed to take photographs uh, on the gate up the road. So there are a few photographs of what is supposedly Jeff on the gate. They're very black and white, a little blurry, and they do not look terribly convincing, but it is nice to know that they're there. And if you look them up, you can find them. So those are all, that's all the evidence that's been presented about Jeff, but it's okay. There's a mental image that I need you to know that I have whenever you're talking about Jeff. So like, I know you're saying like, you showed me a picture and you there are like photographs or whatever. Um, but whenever I am picturing Jeff the Talking Mongoose, there's a very specific mental image I have, which is, um, and I just looked him up to see if he has a name, and apparently he does, but are you are you a big Muppets fan? Yeah. Did you ever have the Muppet Classic Theater VHS tape? Um, no, I did not. I'm so sorry. It's okay. Muppet Classic Theater was like a staple of my childhood growing up, and Muppet Classic Theater happens to have, so like the conceit is... Um, the Muppets put on like a bunch of different theatrical productions, right? And Mm -hmm. they're like fables and fairy tales and things. Um, And so like some of the same Muppets play like different roles in each of them because it's very much like a fourth wall thing. Like they know they are in like these staged productions of these shows and you can see like the stage and the curtains and the Persini march and everything. But one of the characters who literally just shows up as like a background character in several of these different ensemble casts is just this little weasel Muppet. And he's like... He's this intense, chaotic presence in the background in just, like, the ensemble. So I looked it up, and apparently his name is Eugene. He's Eugene the Weasel. 
And I was so delighted when I saw this because I was thinking that, like, I had just missed him somewhere else. But no, apparently his first appearance was as just, like, an unnamed chaotic background weasel in Muppet Classic Theater. Thank goodness, honestly. I'm so blessed. And uh, he was written into the Muppets into the Muppets Tonight show later as, like, a background tech assistant for the Muppet show. Incredible. But otherwise, he's just this weird weasel that just shows up in, like, these other, you know, productions and... It's so good. And I don't know why, but my brain insists that he has, like, a Jeff the Talking Mongoose energy. So I'm going to send you a picture right now, and you can see. Yeah, give me. But for any of my other uh, my other friends out there who were Muppet Classic Theater friends, I hope that you understand and, and love Eugene as I have loved him. Let me see him. There he is. There's my special boy. Oh, boy. Let me click on him. <laughs> oh, he's good. And this is what I'm picturing <laughs> whenever you tell me about Jeff the Mongoose. He's good. I like him. So that pretty much brings us to the end of Jeff the Talking Mongoose. I would like to just leave you with a quote uh, that this this site included another Jeff quote that I enjoy. That apparently upon suspecting Jim of trying to look directly at him, Jeff shouted, You're looking. Stop looking. Turn your head, you bastard. I cannot stand your eyes. (laughs) (laughs) You know, this reminds me of one more thing, which is that it's the year 2018. And I know there are people out there who know who runs the Drill Twitter account. <laughs> and I'm pretty sure the answer to that forbidden question is just Jeff the Talking Mongoose. Here's the thing. If you told me that any one of those quotes was a Drill tweet... I'd believe it. The I will split the Adam one especially. <laughs> oh, they're incredible. It's very, I will face God and walk backwards into hell. Well, I will split the Adam. I will destroy all of you. I am the eighth wonder of the world. Yeah, anyway, that is a, just a very strange little story that I absolutely adore and choose to believe in and will choose to believe in for the rest of my natural life. And that is Jeff the Talking Mongoose. I'm a big fan. I love him. I think he's fascinating. I feel bad for the family because it doesn't sound like it was always the best, but it also does sound like sometimes it was nice. Like he'd sing songs and like bring them rabbits and stuff. It sounds like it wasn't all bad. I'm pretty into it. I know. I knew you would be. I'm glad to have, even though you knew of Jeff the Talking Mongoose, I'm glad to have added some information. Yeah, I'm at this point now where, like, when I find out about a fun new cryptid, unless it is specifically my week and I plan on doing that one, I sort of stop myself from looking any further into them. Because odds are one of us will get to it eventually. For sure. And it's kind of more fun if, like, I don't know as much as I I want to. I also don't want to quash your investigative spirit, though. Oh, no. I mean, if it's one that I'm, like, really into, like, I'll just make it my week, but... Okay, that's fair. (laughs) If you ever find one that you really don't want me to take, just, like, message me and be like, please don't research this one. I'm doing it. (laughs) But, yeah, that is the end of Jeff the Talking Mongoose. I feel great about him. I, I feel pretty good about him, actually. I think he's all right. Yeah, and I hope you all enjoy going on that journey with us. This Eugene the Talking Weasel thing has reminded me, um, and I know that you told me that, like, it's forbidden to be into the Christmas spirit yet, but I just need to tell everybody, if you're not familiar with the masterpiece that is Emmett Otter's Drug Band Christmas, you need to get on it. Oh, I thought you were going to talk about Muppet Christmas Carol. No, that's also good, but Emmett Otter's Drug Band Christmas is, like, a very good little holiday gem that's that's very underappreciated. <laughs> I understand. It's just this little otter and he has to win the band competition so that he can have like 
something for his mom for Christmas. I don't remember. I haven't seen it in a long time. Oh, that's nice. But he and his jug band have to beat the uh, the River Bottom Nightmare Band, which is like this horrible grungy rock band from hell. It's it's the worst. I love the River Bottom Nightmare Band, and I love Emmett Otter. He's a very good little otter puppet. The River Bottom Nightmare Band is my new name for just my brain. Yeah, it's it's a good one, isn't it? It's where I live. I live in the River Bottom Nightmare Band. That's actually really lovely. I'm gonna check that out uh, after midnight on October 31st. <laughs> okay, fair. So is that going to do it for us today? I think so. I just want to take a moment to go ahead and thank our sponsors this week and the rest of this beautiful, beautiful, spooky month of October, which is the Alexandria Archives. Oh, yes. Which is a cool, fun podcast. If you've not listened to them yet, then I'm kind of surprised at this point. (laughs) We've cross-promoted them on many, many occasions. Uh, Both Addison and I have done voice acting work for them before. I mean, it's a great podcast. They're great people. And if you enjoy our show, there is a high likelihood you would enjoy theirs as well. It's, I hesitate to call it an audio drama. It's an, it's an audio fiction podcast that's basically uh, a radio station broadcasting from the fictional Alexandria University, which is sort of the intersection of the, the strange and the spooky and the unnatural and the sometimes funny. Uh, it's a very cool like slice of life podcast that gets into some really fun writing and some enjoyable characters and features some spooky stories sometimes that are a lot of fun. Mm-hmm. It's a good time. It's great for the month of October. Yeah, if you haven't gotten into it, this is definitely the month to do so. So check them out. Absolutely. Yep. So if you go to alexandriaarchives.com, you can find them. You can also find them wherever podcasts are peddled. Quick thanks to our audio wizard, Val Patron. Uh, Doing the Mothman's work out here. Mm -hmm. And as always, thank you to Andrew Giada for the use of his music as our theme song. And thank you to you. All of you. But you specifically. You right there listening to this, you. Don't look behind you. No, no, not them. Just no. You. Not them. You. So, as always, we hope we can keep you around and stay safe out there. 